0: Sound the trumpets! At long last, His Royal Highness is finally here. The Duchess of Cambridge, Kate Middleton, gave birth to a baby boy, her first child with husband, Prince William, at St. Mary's Hospital in London on Monday, July 22nd, the palace confirmed via Twitter. Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge, was safely delivered of a son at 4.24 p.m. The baby weighs eight pounds, six ounces. The Duke of Cambridge was present for the birth. The Queen, the Duke of Edinburgh, the Prince of Wales, the Duchess of Cornwall, Prince Harry and families have been told and are delighted. Her Royal Highness and her child are both doing well and will remain in hospital overnight. This was just one news source from the birth of Prince George to Kate and William on July 22, 2013. It was an event that was plastered all over all of the news sources across the world. Newspapers, magazines, radio, television, the internet. Everybody was announcing this birth of the future king of England. This is sort of how we expect royal announcements of the birth of royalty to to come across, right? We expect that the birth of a king is going to be proclaimed to all of the important people in the world, that all of the people of status and standing, and it's going to be on the newspapers and on the radio and on television and blasted across all of these sources. This is how the births of kings are announced. Isn't that Right? I told you last week that this morning we would be having Christmas in November. We're going to take a look at the story of the birth of Jesus as it's told to us in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 2 and we're going to dive into this story of the birth of a king. And I want you to keep in mind the story that I just read to you and how we anticipate that royalty is announced to the world. Luke chapter 2. I'll put the text on the screen here if you don't have a Bible. If you do, you can follow along in yours. The the first verse in Luke chapter 2 says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, the adopted son of Julius Caesar. He was the first emperor in the Roman Empire. He was born on September 23rd, 63 A.D. uh, After leading a very, very bloody civil war within the Roman Empire, he was finally declared himself to be the emperor in the year 27 B.C. In the year 27 B.C., he declared himself to be the emperor. Uh, He reigned as emperor until 14 A.D., uh, uh, during which time he expanded the role, uh, his role within the Roman Emperor, um, and he came to be known by certain titles. He gave himself certain titles, such as Savior, such as Divi Filius, Divi Filius, which means Son of God. Uh, he calls himself Savior. He, uh, the news that Caesar is coming to town, is called the Gospel, the Evangelion. That's what it means. That's what they would pronounce when Caesar comes to town. So it's in these days. I want to tell you a little bit more about Caesar. In the year 9 BC, nine B.C. this is just a few years before Jesus was born, there was a, a, a motion to change the calendar to make the first of the year Augustus's birthday. And here's why. This is a quote from an inscription uh, from the year 9 BC. Here's what the, the quote says. It says, It seemed good to the Greeks of Asia... In the opinion of the high priest Apollonius of Monophilus Azantius, since Providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done, and since the birthday of the god Augustus, was the beginning of the good tidings for the world that came by reason of him, which Asa resolved in Smyrna. Because of all of this, they decided that they were going to change the calendar to make Augustus's birthday the first month of the year. Because they believed that Augustus was, was a god, or the son of God, that he was a savior for the world. And so they were proclaiming good news, good tidings, Euangelion. Keep this in mind as we continue to read through the story in the Gospel of Luke. We'll pick up again uh, in verse 2. It says, This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. This was the first census. So, Caesar Augustus issues this decree that the entire world, the entire inhabited Roman Empire needs to be registered for tax purposes, right? Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's getting to be tax time in Rome, and so Caesar says, we got to take a census so we know who to tax. So uh, this, is, this is the instructions that were given. So Joseph also went up, this is verse 4, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So Luke's trying to tell us that in this time there was a census where they people had to go back to their ancestral homeland, the land of their ancestors, to register for tax purposes. And so it tells us that Joseph, who we talked a little bit about last week, who's engaged to this young woman named Mary, who just so happened to tell an angel that she's willing to carry inside of her, the, the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, Joseph goes up from Nazareth, this little town in the middle of nowhere, to another little town in the middle of nowhere in ancient Judea, a town called Bethlehem. Because Bethlehem was the the ancestral home of David, King David. Remember a few weeks ago I told you that King David, that was sort of the golden era in Israel's history? Well, so it's telling us that Joseph is a descendant from David's line. And so he has to go back to the ancestral home of David, which is Bethlehem, to register for the census. Uh, so that would have been, just to put this in perspective, for him to make this travel, he and Mary, it was about an 85 to 90 mile journey. Keep in mind, they didn't have cars back then, okay? So a- at most, they, they would have had like a donkey or, or an animal to ride on. If not, they basically walked everywhere. So this is quite a journey. Imagine being, you know, eight, nine months pregnant and you've got to walk 85, 90 miles to register for ta- taxes. It wouldn't make you very happy. So they're making this trip. Verse 5 says... He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Mary was about nine months pregnant about the time of this journey. Verse 6 says, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Uh, As Many of you probably know babies don't just come when you want them to, they come when they're ready. And so here they are on this long journey and all of a sudden it's time for the baby to be born. Now Luke is telling us that this is all in in accordance with prophecy, right, that there would be a savior who would come out of the land of Bethlehem. So Luke says this is really all according to God's plan. Wasn't necessarily according to Mary's plan, I don't know if she was hoping to have her baby away from the rest of her family in some strange town, but this is where the baby decides to be born. So while they were there, uh, the time came for the baby to be born. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, if you've been keeping track over the weeks, I've told you that Mary was told that she was going to have the Messiah. The angel showed up to Mary and said, you are going to give birth to to this Savior who's going to be the Messiah. You're going to give birth to the one who's going to reign over Israel. So Mary knows that she is giving birth to a king. And yet as Luke is telling us this story, he says that this king is born in this little out-of-the-way town, this little town in the middle of nowhere. He's not born in some rich palace somewhere. He's not born in in Rome. He's not born in Jerusalem. He's not born where all of the things are expecting to be happening. He's not surrounded by all the royal family and all the important people. In fact, he's born, in, in, as we're going to see, in an inn, and the baby is placed in a manger. For those of you who don't know, a manger is an animal's feeding trough. An animal's feeding trough. So here we have this king who's going to change the world, and he comes into the world under, nobody knows about it, there's not fanfare, nobody's posting this on the internet, nobody's plastering this to newspapers across the land, nobody's broadcasting this on the radio, and this, this future king is placed in a little manger, in a feeding trough. Humble beginnings for this king. This isn't the way that you expect kings, world changers, to be born. Uh, this manger is also significant because as we're going to see, the manger is the, is the key. When the angels show up later on to some shepherds to tell them to make this announcement, the manger is, is the signpost that they say, the angel says you're going to find this baby in a manger. But the point I want you to get here is this isn't how you expect kings to be born. This isn't how royalty usually comes into the world, out of, out of sight, out of mind, in a humble beginning, placed into a manger. As we continue reading in verse 8, it says... And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. There were shepherds out. And so uh, one of the sources I read said that uh, shepherds in that day were, uh, it wasn't necessarily the most noble profession. Uh, It was filled with a lot of what we would consider outcasts in society. Uh, So we have shepherds who are out shepherding. They're staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks. This is one of the reasons that we know that Jesus probably wasn't born in December. Because during that time, it would have been too cold for everybody to be outside. So Jesus was probably born sometime in the fall. Uh, So we have these shepherds. So scene changes, right? Imagine you're watching a movie. The baby's born. The baby's placed in the manger. And then the, the camera cuts. And it cuts to these shepherds who are out keeping watch over their flocks. And here's what happens to these shepherds this evening as they're watching over their flocks. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone shone around them, and they were what? Terrified. They were terrified. Again, I told you last week, angels showing up has to be really scary, because every time they show up in Scripture, people are terrified. They're very afraid. Um, So this angel shows up. The glory of the Lord shines around about them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you what? Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This is the exact same word that was used in the announcement regarding Caesar Augustus. This word gospel, euangelion. So what we see here, Luke is very intentionally setting up this this juxtaposition... We know we have Caesar Augustus, who he's already mentioned. Everybody knows about Caesar Augustus. When Caesar comes into town, the the trumpets go off, and they have a herald who's proclaiming the good news. Caesar is here. We know that Caesar considers himself to be lord. Caesar considers himself to be Savior, Caesar considers himself to be son of God. Caesar, uh, he has all of the fanfare. Everybody knows Caesar's name. It's all over the newspapers. It's on every internet site. It's on the radio 24-7. If Caesar's coming to town, you know about it. It's good news because Caesar, the Savior, is here. So Luke is taking this, this idea that everybody knows about Caesar, and he's taking it and he's implanting it on this little baby who's born in the middle of nowhere, And laying in a manger. And the announcements, the announcement isn't made to the the royalty. The announcement isn't made to the the creme de la creme. It's not made to the important people. It's not made to Caesar. It's not made to King Herod. It's not made to the high priests. It's made to shepherds, to outcasts in society, to a lowly profession that nobody really cares all that much about. Pay attention to that. Luke is showing us already, even in this, this little story just about the birth of Jesus, that, that Jesus takes what we expect and he flips it on its head. He takes what we expect and he flips it on its head. The angel continues, Today, in the town of David, a what? Savior has been born. Remember that word that we saw? The same word was used for Savior. Uh, for Caesar in the, in the announcement. So Luke, again, he's taking this, he's saying, here's what you thought about Caesar. I'm telling you that the real Savior of the world was born in the city of Bethlehem, in the middle of nowhere, announced to nobody. But this one, the one that nobody knows about right now, the one that nobody's ever heard of, the one that nobody expects, is going to be the Savior of the world. He is what? The Messiah. He is the Messiah. We talked a few weeks ago about this idea of messianic expectation. The Jews had been waiting for this Messiah. They had been waiting for hundreds of years for God to send them this ruler, this savior, this deliverer who's going to free them from the shackles of Roman oppression. They're expecting this king, this great king from the line of David. And that's what we get in Jesus. Except as we see, he's not the king that anybody expected He's born in an inn. Not just in an inn. They didn't have room in the guest room. He's born in the the stables. He's placed in a trough. He's announced to lowly shepherds. But this little baby, born in the middle of nowhere and announced to nobodies. The angels are saying, this is the true Savior. This is is the true Messiah. This is the true Lord of the world. This shows us that God doesn't work in the systems that we expect God to work in. God doesn't work in the, the big fanfares. and he's a, God's not using Caesar to do this. He's, he's showing us that, that God is at work where nobody's expecting him. Among people that nobody's paying any attention to. People who are just willing to be faithful and willing to believe. And in this little town in the middle of nowhere, something is happening that is going to take the world by storm and nobody was watching today in the town of David a savior has been born to you he is the Messiah the Lord this is the one you've expecting the the shepherds if they were good Jews if they had paid attention in Saturday school they would have known exactly what this meant In their mind, they would have known what it meant to be a Messiah. They would have known that this meant this is a deliverer. This is somebody who's going to come and is going to break the shackles of foreign oppression. This is somebody who's going to set us free and restore us to our our former days. And yet they've got to be wondering, wait a second. This doesn't make any sense. Why is the king, why is our Messiah laying in a stable? So while this happens, it says in verse 12, the, the angel says, this will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. So if you're one of the shepherds, you're like, hold on. Wait a second. Angel, back up. Just for a minute. You mean to tell me, Mr. Angel, that our Messiah, our king, our future king, is laying in an animal's feeding trough? In In a manger. Yeah, that's that's not how kings are born. That's not how kings come into the world. There's nothing royal about that. There's nothing significant about that. And if you're also the shepherd, you've got to be thinking, why are you telling us this? We're not anybody special. We're just shepherds. We're outcasts. Nobody cares about us. On the other hand, you've got to think, well, this is pretty cool. I'm just a shepherd. Nobody cares about me, and yet, and yet I'm getting this news. This, this tells us that, that God doesn't look on the outward things the way that we do. All of the people that we would expect the announcement of a new king to be made to aren't the people that the angel goes to. He doesn't go to the kings. He doesn't go to the world. He goes to these shepherds, these lowly outcasts, and he makes this grand announcement. So he tells them, this is your sign. You're going to go, and when you find a baby laying in a manger, because that's not usually where you find babies, you're going to know that this is the Messiah. So after this happens, verse 13 and 14 says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is a big deal. On earth peace. Because Caesar Augustus believed that he was the one who was establishing peace on earth. But he did it through a big bloody civil war. He conquered his enemies with the sword and then ushered in this period of peace known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. He, Caesar thinks he's the one who's going to bring peace. And yet these angels are saying, that's not where peace comes from. And that's not how we accomplish peace. He's saying, this little one, this little baby that nobody's expecting, laying in a manger, is going to bring real, true peace on earth. It goes on, it says, so they, the, the shepherds, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph. And the baby who was laying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. Well, wouldn't you be? If you were a, a Jew who had been paying attention in your day and you have these shepherds, these outcasts come up to you and they say, listen, 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 we were out in the fields and, and we were watching over our sheep and all of a sudden this angel showed up and this angel said that there's this baby laying in this manger and, and he's the one that we've been waiting for, guys, the one we've been waiting for here. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. He's our Savior and he's here laying in a manger and, and people got to be thinking, shepherds, what have you been drinking? Shepherds, you, you're not paying attention, that's not, no, 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 we're not looking for some, you know, out of, some nobody, we're not looking for some little baby that comes out of nowhere that nobody knows about. If, if God was going to bring about his Messiah, there's no way he's going to do it in this little out-of-the-way town, and there's no way he's going to do it to these people that nobody's ever heard of. Who's heard of Mary and Joseph? Uh, Mary and Joseph who? Nobody knows who they are. And kings aren't, aren't born in stables. Kings aren't laid in mangers. So everybody's amazed. They, they're amazed at what these shepherds are saying because it doesn't make any sense. This isn't the way that God works, is it? Jesus shows us that God takes everything we expect and he flips it on its head. They were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Remember, Mary's the one who the angel showed up to and, and said, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, and he's going to reign over all of his people. And so in her mind, she's got she's to be putting this together. Right? She's got to be thinking, well, I know that I'm nobody special. I know that I'm not some, some royal princess. I know that you know, there's, there's nothing really super special about me. Nobody knows my name. And, and yet, the, everything that the angel has said has come true. I'm finally having this baby, and I, I know I didn't get it the way that most people get babies. Uh, so everything the angel said has come true, and, and now we have these shepherds who are coming in, and they're telling me that, that my baby is going to be the Messiah, and it's going to be Lord. This is just confirmation for me. So, so Mary's holding all of these things in her heart, and she's, she's probably starting to realize that, okay, maybe, maybe God is at work in a new way. Maybe God is working in a way that, that we're not quite expecting him to work. So it goes on, it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, and the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So everything's starting to come together here. We see that there, that the Jews were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting a deliverer. They were expecting a strong forceful leader who's going to come in and restore Israel to its former greatness. And we have this, this little girl, this young woman who's given this message by this angel, and she says, okay, let it be for me just as you have said. And, and what the angel says comes true, and all of a sudden we're starting to see that, that God is at work fulfilling His promise, that God hasn't forgotten His promise that He made to His people hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that He will indeed send a Savior into the world. But we're seeing that God is at work in a new way. That it's it's not in the way that anybody's expected, that it's out of the way. It's in this out-of-the-way town to these nobody people, announcements made to these outcast shepherds. We're starting to see that just maybe God takes everything that we expect. We think that God is going to be at work in, in, in grand and spectacular ways that it's going to be announced all over the internet, all over the radio, and every newspaper. And yet it happens, and nobody's paying any attention. In this little out-of-the-way town, something is happening that is going to change the course of history forever. Notice the Greeks wanted to change the calendar to reflect the birthday of Caesar. But notice, who is our calendar based on? When we say, when we switch from B.C. to A.D., what's our criteria? It's the birth of Jesus. It's this little tiny event that nobody else was paying any attention to that has shaped all of history. We have centered human history on the birth of this child. It wasn't Caesar, this great Lord, Son of God, self-proclaimed Savior of the world, Caesar, who, who came into the world with great fanfare, who who announced himself to be some great thing. It was this little child born to this faithful woman in the middle of nowhere, announced to these outcast shepherds. This gives us a picture as we move into the rest of the book of Luke. This gives us a a very clear picture of the kind of Messiah that Jesus is going to be. He's not going to be the kind of Messiah that we expect. He's not going to be this strong, forceful, political, military leader who's going to change everything from the top. He's going to be this servant leader this leader who changes the world through love and compassion and truth, who works from underneath and not from above. He takes everything the way, every way the world works and he flips on its head and says, this is how things work in the kingdom of God. Our bottom line today comes from one of the books I read in preparation from this sermon series. It's called Luke for Everyone by a great New Testament scholar called N.T. Wright. He said it better than I could, so I'm just going to I'll read you this quote from him is our bottom line. The point Luke is making is clear. The birth of this little boy is the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God in all its apparent weakness, insignificance, and vulnerability, and the kingdoms of the world. Luke is showing, he, he's giving us a preview here. He's saying, here's Caesar Augustus. Everybody knows Caesar's name. Caesar proclaims himself to be Savior, Lord of all. The good news is that Caesar has come. And Luke says, off here, where nobody's paying attention, this is where the real good news is happening. This is where the real Savior of the world is born. This is where the real Lord is coming into the world. And this little boy is going to raise up, and he's going to become somebody, and he's going to change the world. But he's not going to do it in the way that everybody expects you to. It's not going to be the way the kingdom of the world works. It's going to look weak. It's going to look insignificant. It's going to look vulnerable. But in the end, this way is the way that God is going to use to change the world. So as we move forward through the book of Luke, expect Jesus to surprise us time and time again. Expect Jesus to show us that the kingdom of God doesn't look like the kingdom of the world. That the kingdom of God looks like weakness sometimes, looks like vulnerability sometimes, and yet this weakness, this vulnerability, this love, this compassion is more powerful than any sword, is more powerful than any army, is more powerful than any emperor. That the way that God works is the complete opposite, the way that the world works. And yet, if we trust it, it works. So keep this in mind and pay attention as next week we jump in to the rest of the book of Luke, as we start looking at some of the things that Jesus said and some of the things that Jesus did. In the meantime, I'd like for you to read the entire first two chapters of Luke between this week and next. Just catch up. Read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. You can do it in a week, and we'll continue on. We'll jump into Luke chapter 3 in next week's message. Let me have a word of prayer. Gracious heavenly God. Thank You for Your good news. Father, we're starting to see that You are not like what we expect You to be. That You work in unexpected people, in unexpected places, in unexpected ways to accomplish Your divine will. Father, help us to be open to surprise. Help us to be open to the way that You're going to challenge us. Help us to see ways in which Perhaps we, have Christians, we as Christians have bought into the ways of the world and called them the ways of God when really they're nothing like that. Father, help us to be transformed by this truth. Help us to realize that we don't have to be somebody spectacular, somebody famous, somebody great for you to use us, for you to work within us, for us to make a difference in our communities, in our families, in our places of work, in our relationships. Father, thank you for this truth. And thank you for sending your son into the world in that out-of-the-way town to those nobody people, announcing it to those outcast shepherds. Father, may we truly understand the significance that, that you are a God of reversal, that you take the ways of the world, that you flip them on their head. Help us to be a part of that. Help us to see that and understand that. May what we do look weak and vulnerable to everybody else, Father, because we know that those are the things that you use to really change the world. I pray for these things in the strong, the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, it's the first Sunday.